it's China Manufacturing Decoded, the podcast from Sophie East. Adrian here, and Renault's with me. Hi, Renault. Hey there. Yeah, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. And this is kind of a special episode. I think this is the first episode we've recorded when we are both in China. Uh, episode 168, and I finally mm-hmm. made it to China post-COVID. And <laughs> unfortunately, we're not together in the same room. We have been recently, but uh, I'm I'm currently in Huizhou. Look it up on a map, guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> it's a small city. Well, I say small. I mean, it's not that small. Not that small. Yeah, it's, yeah by it's, Chinese it's standard, maybe. <laughs> relatively small city by Chinese standards. Uh, probably about an hour or so northeast of Shenzhen. And I originally came into Hong Kong, met up with yourself, went to Shenzhen. I've been into the Southeast office, been to Agilian the, and seen all of our um, you know, assembly going on, uh, testing laboratory, RSQ labs as well. So definitely some cool content coming and some images and videos of all of that that was going on. So now would seem a, an appropriate time to probably talk a little bit about some of the changes in mainland China from before to after COVID. So I think we can, can we call now post-COVID? We can say post-COVID now, right? Yeah. In China, there's definitely a during and a post, and it's quite different. Mm. Yeah, I think mm. we can say uh, we're in the recovery, let's say this yeah. way. Yeah, <laughs> China, yeah, yeah, yeah. China very much is is in recovery. The, um, mm. the, locked, um, the cities and local governments have been sort of bled to death by all the all the extra expenses, all the tests for free, all the people they had to hire and so on and so forth. And, uh, you know, real estate is going down, which is a very big deal in China because where can people actually invest their money, you know, legally? You know, they, well, it's kind of there's only real estate and some other alternatives that are not very attractive. And real estate kind of always went up uh for, for for a long time so it attracted a lot of investment and now it's going down so it's a big problem for households it's a big problem also for the banks obviously that are kind of suddenly a bit over leveraged and uh and people paying the mortgages maybe they cannot afford and mm-hmm. and all the the collateral in real estate is losing money and so on. It's, it's a bit um the, uh, you know and export numbers um and beyond the numbers really the Situation on the ground, you can see with the the, the manufacturing facilities, they are oh. struggling. Uh, it's very, it's a soft, um, you know, the soft demand, and and you know, correspondingly soft supply. It, it's oh. it's tough. I mean, and we see it in the um, factories we work a lot with. Let's say in you know Dongguan, Shenzhen area, uh, that, that we talk to the most. Well, they they're very very clear. You know, it's. It's not fun. It's not fun. And this year is not a good year. And sort mm. of old Chinese people already figured out, yeah, 2023, not a good year, right? So it's recovery oh, yeah. or worse, right? Recovery is the optimistic mm. way of looking at it, which means that pretty soon it's going to be okay. Let's see. Mm. Let's see. Because there's, there's a lot of headwinds, you know, with geopolitics and so on. But oh, yeah. we're going to go Absolutely. into that uh, in, in this episode. So what no. what are we talking about today? There are a number of things that we can see are perhaps a little bit different from before. I mean, if you're listening and you've been to China before to visit, you know, your suppliers, to do some sourcing, to do whatever, you're probably familiar with China pre-COVID. Not many people came mm-hmm. in during COVID. There's probably mm-hmm. a relief, to be honest, because it was, uh, I mean, you did. It was pretty pretty difficult for many, many reasons, which I'm sure everybody's heard about China's zero COVID and all of that. And by the way, if you are visiting, you don't need to wear masks. You don't need to, you know, do do a lot, really. There is a COVID declaration at the border, which, by the way, you should probably do in advance, just in case you don't have internet at the border, which was an issue that I (laughs) experienced because I didn't have a local SIM card yet. So I filled it in when I was still in Hong Kong got the QR code, screenshotted it on my phone, and then you just scan it as you're going through the border into China. And it's just a self-declaration to basically say, I don't have COVID, basically. I'll leave a link to it in in the show notes, just in case you are visiting soon. Definitely be prepared for that. But other than that, 
the whole COVID thing is pretty much gone away. A lot of people still wear masks, but you don't have to. But there's no real restrictions. So we can put COVID to bed. In terms of changes, you've made quite a number of notes about some of the observations that you've seen in recent times. And I'll respond to those as well with some of my own thoughts. And number one on the list, far fewer foreigners around. Right. Right. So that that's really one thing. So this list is really, you know, if you go to China now, mm. soon, and you are used to the China of 2015, 2019, mm. there's going to be a few key stark differences, you know, that, that are going to jump at you, right? And the first one is in the major cities, much fewer foreigners, okay? Yeah. Uh, in 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 uh, in in Shenzhen, you know, in 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 downtown or in Shukou, oh. you know, there are some places you could see, you know, the, 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 some there were some eateries, some 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 bars and so on. Like you could see a lot of foreigners. Well, um, now you you walk around and you see a foreigner over there, and you're like, hey, uh, do I know this guy? No, I don't know. Mm. <laughs> and you keep you know you keep walking for a while and you don't see any of them, right? No. So. <laughs> It's um, of course, if you go to to the the popular, um, you know, Hilton hotels and Marriott and so on, um, that were already popular before with foreigners. Yeah, you will see obviously a much higher concentration. But when you when you really go out, where the, you know to the places where let's say the foreigners tend to leave or tended to leave, um, yeah. oh wow, you know, it's been hollowed out. It's crazy. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, 90% of them left or something. I, I don't know. I don't have any numbers of that. Um, people tell me it's the same thing in um, in places like Shanghai and Suzhou and, and, and Beijing mm. and so on. So, mm. ouch, you know, um, and I'm sure it's the same in Guangzhou. Um, mm. So that, that's the thing. So with fewer foreigners, obviously the restaurants and bars that were targeting primarily the expat community have <laughs> been struggling and a lot of them have been closing, right? So, oh, they, yeah, they're so, gone, a lot of them. Yeah, they're gone. And, uh, like, for example, something that struck me, uh, the, the Shenzhen office in, Shen, uh, in, uh, yeah, in Shenzhen is, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, the Sophist office in Shenzhen is in Huachang Bay. And this, if you walk, I don't know, four or five minutes, there's a subway, you know, a restaurant, like the, the fast food chain. And sometimes mm-hmm. when you're in a hurry, up oh, you, you want something simple. You know, it's it's quick, it's convenient. You know exactly what you get, right? And now the overhead menu is only in Chinese, and it's like, oh, mm-hmm. okay, well, I know exactly what you know what to say. Uh, you know, Buyan uh, Chong and Buyan this and that. And okay, I I, mm-hmm. I, I know what to say because I've I've told them like five thousand times over the past whatever fifteen years. But mm-hmm. I was like, oh, interesting. You know, I can't mm-hmm. even. Point to something and say it in, and, and read the, the, the name in English. Okay, so that says something, right? So there's this yeah. kind of movement back to like just Chinese, mm. right? Yeah, that, that you observe in some places. I have a good one as well because I went to the Walmart supermarket and I wanted to buy some stuff. I'm not particularly wedded to getting Western things in China, but on this occasion, I thought this does need to be imported. Walmart used to have a big imported section of lots of different brands and tins of stuff mm. and whatever, completely gone. Ouch. Yeah. You, you're talking about the, the big Walmart in Shoko, the, the first one that was established in China? No, not that one. That one. Uh, okay. Legendary Walmart. Used to live just down the road from there, but uh, no, no, but a, a different one. But but still, I yeah. mean, it, it stands. And um, yeah, so I think I think what you're talking about broadly, there does seem to be a move away from sort of Western stuff and foreign people for sure. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, that brings us to another one is the mm-hmm. electric vehicles, right? Mm. So in the big cities, like, you know, again, Shenzhen, Guangzhou, Shanghai, Beijing, and, and some other, mm. you know, big cities, if you leave in the downtown area, it's nearly impossible now to buy an internal combustion engine vehicle, right? Mm. The way they, they set up the incentives, 
makes it pretty obvious for you, okay, you know, you're going to buy an electric vehicle, right? So mm. when you are in downtown, for example, Shenzhen, <laughs> now most of the cars you see are electric vehicles, right? Oh, I'm sure you, you noticed. Yeah. Right? Oh, I would, I would go as far as to say it could be up, a, you know, around maybe like 80% or more on the roads mm. in downtown Shenzhen. Right. And that's a very striking right. difference. And you can tell because an ICE car has a blue number plate, which is like a standard Chinese mm. number plate. And the, the EVs have a green number plate. And mm. you don't see a lot of blue number plates now. Yeah, you get the odd right. BMW or uh, Benz rolling around, which is, uh, you know, or a Porsche, which is which are still um, mm. combustion engines. But yes, and the majority of these cars, as you've pointed out, they're Chinese brands. And I mean... As somebody that hasn't been to China for, you know, sort of like, I don't know, three and a half, four years, uh, I have not ever seen these cars in my life. I don't know what they are. It's not just Teslas. Teslas are incredibly popular, actually, for obvious reasons, because they're being made here. But the Chinese ones, yeah, there's an enormous and some of them are small. Some of them are huge sort of like Cadillac Escalade sized SUVs. Uh, they have an entire ecosystem of EVs, which all look pretty high tech, which probably a lot of the listeners have never seen or heard about. Right. So if you go back about, what, five years, mm. the the high end of the market, yeah, of course, you had Mercedes-Benz, BMW, um, you know, you had a lot of um, Buick and Cadillac kind of things from GM, and then you also had yeah. the OD. Right and and some like some higher end Volkswagen, and mm-hmm. that these two big companies Volkswagen and GM mm-hmm. were really owning, you know, a big chunk of that market. Right? Yes. Now, yeah. It seems like what is cool is totally different. Oh yeah, <laughs> right? th- th- those are gone. You you hardly see you you don't see a lot of Western brands. You don't see a lot of VWs, Fords, GMs around. You see the odd one, but. Not as common mm. here in Huayzhou, definitely more, uh, but still a lot of EVs on the road as well. Right, right. I think on average, from what I read, the latest statistics in China, about fifty percent of the new cars that are that are getting like sold are EVs. But then, wow. as uh, as we mentioned, in the downtown of, of large cities, yeah, it's probably eighty percent, ninety percent, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and and yeah, <laughs> again, no logic, you know, uh, huge EVs. I mean, this has nothing to do with protecting the, the environment or whatever, but it is a good way for them to sort of clean up the air in the big cities, yeah. right? Because remember around 2015, 2016, like that was a real big, actually it was a big political problem for the government. The air quality became a very high level kind of concern for a lot of Chinese people. Oh. So this is their way of saying, hey, let's clean things up. And at the same time, well, this is going to be, these are new technologies and everything. Let's develop new brands. Let's become number one, you know, around Ooh. batteries and around a lot Absolutely. of these, these technologies. Let's, let's um, uh, you know, um, issue, uh, how to say, uh, get a lot of patents for a lot of different innovations and everything. Let's Ooh. make ourselves like, totally indispensable let's do the uh, the processing of 80 percent 90 percent of the lithium in the world and so on and so forth right so they saw it as an enormous opportunity also to mm. to position themselves it, it's directly coming from made in china 2025 and uh, the the subsequent policies i mean it's it's, mm. it's it's pretty clear and it's been an enormous success for them and now all the the other car brands all around the world are thinking wow well now we're selling much less in China mm. and the future is pretty bleak because mm. they tend to like all these new brands that are kind of cool, you know, and, and okay, Tesla is doing doing well, but they're also going to suffer more and more just because the competition is, is, is going to be the typical Chinese, you know, cutthroat competition because of an enormous amount of oversupply. Uh, oh, and, no doubt. And all, all the other countries are kind of worried. Okay. They're going to, you know, we're going to have to rely on them and, uh, what do we do? You know, <laughs> they're going to 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 get our market share over time. This is really bad. So, enormous changes that are very very visible in China, 
and that that are really getting a lot of people in that industry uh, quite worried, right? Something related to uh, electric vehicle cars is all the e-bikes. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm sure you remember because both of them were living in Shenzhen for years. And let's say five, 10 years ago, the e-bikes were totally forbidden in downtown Shenzhen, in a wide mm. area of Shenzhen, right? And mm. like the police was standing by the side of the road and like stopping them and, you know, they, they really cleaned it up. So what what about now? <laughs> what did you see? <laughs> yeah, well, they're definitely not banned anymore because there's millions right. around. So I think it probably goes in parallel with a lot of the deliveries that are going on for the e-bikes or e-scooters i mean one they're really cheap you can buy them for about 2000 rmb which is oh so that's probably about 200 bucks mm. right that is super cheap for a form of transportation right secondly there's been a boom in delivery apps in china as there has in the west as well and probably during lockdown as well, all the deliveries were still going on and everybody in China was buying stuff and getting it delivered yeah. the same as they were in the West. So I think that there's a lot more delivery people going around all the time. And yeah, you can't walk down the street in Shenzhen without being nearly run over by multiple e-bike delivery drivers. And right. they're everywhere. everywhere. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. On the flyover, on the, you know, on, on the pedestrian area, everywhere. Oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Go, yeah. There's no, they go fast yeah, sometimes. Yeah, they do. They do. They do. Terrible. <laughs> what about all the bikes for rent? You remember the, uh, yeah. the Mobike and Ofo and this kind of thing? Mm-hmm. They're way down. There's still a lot, though. That They are kind of back as well. I think a lot of people are using them because outside of the metro, if you're if you're near a busy metro station, actually where I stayed in Shenzhen, happens Mm -hmm. to be near a really busy sort of office area so in a morning Mm -hmm. the metro was just wow just millions of people way more people than i'm used to seeing in my my existence in quite little little england and so all of these people they want to jump on these higher bikes and then just zip off to the office which is maybe i don't know a kilometer down the road or whatever so there's a lot. So when you add up all of these bikes, and we're talking pedal bikes here, which you just scan a QR code and, and it unlocks mm. and off you go or whatever, right? And it's, I don't even know what it is. It's like 1.5 RMB or something. Yeah, it's not. It's, which yeah. is not, not expensive. They're all piled up next to the metro station. Then you've got all of the e-bikes piled up next to the metro station. So when you're trying yeah. to walk into the metro, which, by the way, is a great way to get around Shenzhen, and I guess we'll get on to that a little bit. Yeah. Um, you got to sort of like the the uh, the Baoans who are like the sort of like security guards who are controlling things uh, in a local area. They'll they'll move all of the bikes to make paths. So you're w- winding your way through these big seas of e-bikes and scooters and and push bikes to get into the metro station. And yeah, there's a lot around. And there was there was this sort of like meme where you saw big piles of bikes where people have just thrown them or bikes left in very random areas and it's just like what why have they ridden there and why have they left a bike there sort of you know up, up that tree or whatever and yeah still see that around so yeah the, the bikes are still around and they're still being used a lot yeah, yeah oh absolutely <laughs> uh, did you so we're talking about traveling did you travel mm-hmm. around by train no i haven't have taken take the train i haven't taken the train yet i may i may be taking one of the ultra high speed network at some point in the next sort of couple of three weeks. So mm-hmm. uh, that'll be, that'll be interesting. Yeah. Gautier, but um, right. I haven't done it yet. I, I got around mainly on the, uh, on the Metro in Shenzhen and you're going to love this, but uh, in, in Huizhou, just take the bus. Good old bus. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Well, actually, yeah. Talk about the Metro. They have these, I don't know, five-year plans, 10-year plans, I don't know. Mm. But they've really, the, the metro in Shenzhen I checked only started in 2004. Mm-hmm. And I remember when it was just going Lohu to um, Window of the World. Yes. Uh, and, and and then there was the, this other line, whatever, the red line, the, the line four, I think, yes. going up. It was just going 
two or four stations. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's a few stations. Yeah. Yeah, I remember. Right. I remember when it was like that. <laughs> right. And then they added and they added. And there was the Universiade or whatever they called it in 2010 yeah. or 2011. Pop, they, yeah. they opened a bunch of stations just before that. It's kind of mm. it's not the Asian Games. It's not the Olympics, obviously. It's like, a, I don't know, third or fourth rate kind of international sports competition event. But they kind of tried to make it a big deal because... Mm. Guangzhou had the Asian Games, and you know, and Beijing obviously had the Olympics in 08. So <laughs> they, it's funny. A lot of things opened just before that, mm. and and then it just kept opening and kept opening more and more. And you have the the, the airport line, right? Line 11 uh, goes yeah. all the way from the center of Shenzhen and Fujian all the way to to the limit with Dongguan. So it's going to connect with Dongguan Metro soon. Uh, Dongguan's been developing the metro. Um, you know, obviously Guangzhou also has a pretty big network, pretty well connected with Foshan. Goes mm. down to now, actually, another one of our offices in Shundu is actually now less than 10 minutes walk away from a metro station. Um, mm. Wow, okay. <laughs> so they they just keep going, right? I don't even know if this slowed down with COVID. Uh, it might be, might actually have been accelerated. Like, let's get more people employed or something. I don't know. But it, it's, they, they just keep going. So if you take a break for three or four years and you come back, it's it's kind of overwhelming, right? Oh, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's incredibly broad now. The Shenzhen Metro is impressive. And let's not forget that it links directly to the Hong Kong Metro, uh, which I, I guess that that's not new, but it is does make it convenient. And also it does link kind of to the high-speed rail network all the way from oh, yeah. Guangzhou and beyond that goes all the way through into Shenzhen and then down into Hong Kong as well. Yeah, yeah. So soon, I mean, this Greater Bay Area is going to be all enormous network of mm. metro stations, light rails. Uh, in Dongguan, I saw they've been building uh, light rail close to Ajilian. and uh, and And obviously, like, the old style, uh, the old bullet train that was mm. going from from Hong Kong to Guangzhou East and so on, uh, and and the Gautier, the high speed train, uh, it's they're actually pretty close to to completion of that. It's it's amazing now. Just with 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 the metro, you'll be able to go all the way up. You know, Hong Kong, Shenzhen, Dongguan, Guangzhou, Foshan, uh, and then down. I'm not sure, but certainly the same thing has to happen with Zhongshan and mm. Zhuhai, right? Plus yeah. the new bridge, you know, more bridges and tunnels across the bay. And it's just mm. crazy. Uh, the, the speed and the scale is really astounding. Mm. And um, it's funny because one of the places where I lived in Shenzhen for seven years, I think, mm -hmm. uh, was in Gangxia, okay, in, in pretty much the center of, of, of Shenzhen in, in Futian. They were so busy on Chai Tianlu and they were moving a bridge. Like they had this huge road, like uh, four, four lanes or five lanes on each side. They moved the bridge and they were doing a lot of construction. And then it was never ending, never ending. I was wondering what's going on here, you know. And right now, this is Gangxia, Gangxia Bay, okay, the Gangxia North Station. It's got four lines there. And it's um, sort of an architectural beauty with a huge, what they call the eye. Yeah, the the an opening on top, so you you have some sunlight and so on. Extremely busy, obviously with four stations. It was like, oh, okay, that's what they had in mind, you know. So sometimes you're wondering, and it was the same with the Futian uh, Gautier station, the high speed uh, train station, because they kept mm. doing things and like stopping and restarting and what are they doing there? And then they opened it up and it was like, oh, that's a huge underground train station. Okay, get it, All right? Mm. Um, so it does take years, but they are planning ahead. So what have they planned for the next five years? I don't know, but it's one of these things is really fascinating. Really fascinating. Mm. Oh, um, no doubt. No doubt all of the major cities in the PRD are, or the Greater Bay Area are going to be linked. Uh, absolutely no doubt. Yeah. So you probably, you right. could probably go from Hong Kong to, you know, to Zhuhai <laughs> underground maybe or something crazy like that. But yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, from a from an I'm visiting Shenzhen soon perspective, totally you want to be using the metro. It's just so easy to get around. There's, you don't really need to take a taxi that much in the city now, um, unless mm. you want to. Um, it's very easy. And I know that we were talking about 
you know, some things are only in Chinese. I would say for foreigners to use the metro, as long as you know which station you're meant to be going to, there's yeah. still English writing and whatever. So it's definitely accessible. Uh, probably worth buying a Shenzhen card, which is called a Shenzhen Tong. And it's like a mm. metro card. You just put some money on it. You can do it in the station with at the booth with a with a human if you want or machines uh, and just throw a bit of cash on. It's really cheap as well. So, yeah, it's, a, it's an impressive MTR network. Right. Then, yeah, two more points about transportation, and then we, we move to other points. But Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, a good one and a bad one, all right, about the high-speed train network that obviously visitors often have to take, right? But the good point is that before, you know, five years ago, let's say, you had to get your ticket, and you, mm. you could book it, but then you had to queue up then to get your ticket. And in a busy train station, sometimes you had to queue up for like an hour, Right, mm. and then you miss the train, and oh, it's just terrible, right? But now it's completely ticketless, right? So you book, and if you're a foreigner, you just use your passport number mm. and, and and your name, obviously, right? And then that's it. You just go to the 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 the, the, the turnstile machine. You put your passport. It scans it. If you're lucky, the first time it goes. Otherwise, maybe you have to turn change to another machine or whatever. But you just go through like this. You don't need the ticket. You don't need anything. You can use the passport actually to go through, which is, yeah. you know, like, why did it take them so long, right? But anyway, um, which is now a very big improvement. Uh, now, the negative is that there's a lot more fences. You know, it's crowd control everywhere. And people tell me it was worse during COVID and they already removed like half of it or something. I don't know. Mm -hmm. but if you don't like to be, um, you know, <laughs> to be treated like cattle, uh, this might mm. be a bit of a shock, right? And in some of the stations, it's pretty bad. Like the Hohmann mm. station, which is at the same time a, a train, uh, a high-speed train station and a metro station, and maybe also will be a light rail station, it seems. Yes. So these stations with several things coming up at the same time uh, is just terrible. Anyway, mm. um, Enough about traveling because it's not just yes. that. Uh, yeah, face recognition is extremely common, right? You can pay. Actually, it's been a few years already like this with Alipay and so on in the convenience stores, just with your face. Boop. Okay, mm. gone. You know, uh, <laughs> cashed out. Uh, you know, uh, paid. I can go right. Even in our office, actually. So we moved a couple of years ago to a, a nice high-rise commercial building in Shenzhen. And at, at the bottom, you there's, there's, there's a control over the visitors. You have to register. And then with your face, it, it unlocks, basically, right? Mm -hmm. And then it's the same thing in um, either that or fingerprint uh, uh, you know, on, on the doors. Uh, same thing in Agilian for um, access control and so on, right? Have you seen face recognition in, in, in other places? Uh, yeah, Shenzhen, Shenzhen a lot, Huizhou, not so much. But um, uh, I do think it's not necessarily going to be kept to very rigidly. Certainly not. If you look, if you're if you're a foreigner and you're looking a bit confused and hot, and and I think you might find that they'll just let you in because <laughs> that definitely happened to me. Uh -huh. or, or, or let you out so because of course yeah. if you're visit let's say you're visiting your supplier's office you're not going to be in the face recognition system so it sort of sees your face and it's just like eh, and doesn't let you in but the, there'll be a guy somewhere with a button and he'll just sort of push it and you can just go in maybe but uh yeah it's it's definitely more common for sure yeah right all right uh let's talk about restaurants mm. so as we mentioned a lot of them closed Right, uh, or oh, moved, yeah, but yeah, a lot of them, a lot of them closed. It's been. Uh, I was like, oh no, you know, like uh, the Shenzhen I, I I used to like, you know, has all disappeared mm -hmm. by now. You know, <laughs> it's, uh, I was I was not I was not happy with that. Um, yeah, and also in some places I saw that the prices really went up quite a bit, right? Yes, uh, and and people told me yeah because during COVID. Know, fewer people coming, so they had to survive. They had to raise the price, on. and then it's it's China. Prices never come down, <laughs> do they? Mm. <laughs> so, no, 
Yeah. It's. I mean, it's. It, Shenzhen has gotten a decent amount more expensive for sure. It's not. It's not cheap, cheap by any means. I would say that there was always quite high turnover of small restaurants in Shenzhen anyway. So you could, if you went away for a year or so, you'd find that the little restaurant on the corner that you always used to go to has now changed yeah. into something else, probably like a salon or something. But uh, no mm-hmm. doubt COVID killed off a lot of them. That's that's for sure. I still yeah. think there's quite quite a few. It's not like the West where we're slowly... Oh, I'm not going to tar everywhere with the same brush, but certainly in the UK we're sort of slowly homogenizing into like major chains and that's pretty mm. much all there is you know all like the little pubs are closing and you just get mm. big chains it's not it's not at that extreme there's still heaps of small restaurants around oh, sure. um, but no doubt covid trend, right? did mm. yeah covid did definitely kill a lot of them and yes yeah, it's true. it's more expensive than it was but if you are of the more adventurous persuasion and you're willing to go into sort of the little random Chinese restaurant on the corner rather than, you know, a big fancy one in, in a nice shopping mall. Uh, mm. It's probably, you could probably still get reasonably cheap food that's good. Yeah, you know, of course, you still have some of that. Yeah, for sure. Mm. Did you see, did you see this new habit? Or, I know, not that new, but it's really mainstream now. Five, six, ten people sit around the table they all scan the QR code and they all order directly from their phones. And then one of them says, I'm going to be picking the bill. Uh, Before it was, everybody has the big printed menu and only one for the table always. (laughs) And then you have to kind of organize and say, okay, let's order one of these, one of these. Okay. What about that? And all trying to look at the same menu. Yes. And, and actually this could be quite challenging for foreign visitors because a lot of the time you go to the restaurant, sit down at the table and there's just a QR code on the table. Right. So you got to go scan that QR code on your phone and then it will bring up the menu on your phone. Right now is the menu going to be in English? Probably not. Can you pay in cash? Maybe, but it's going to be more difficult because what would happen is, yeah, basically one person will just take control of it and they'll just pay it straight away on, you know, Alipay or or whatever online payment mm. system they're using. Well, not straight away. They'll pay afterwards, and then it's all done via phone. So yeah, I think a lot of the time you don't see menus anymore. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, another topic is LinkedIn. Mm. Is so it used to be totally open in China, and you know, like no difference between say Hong Kong and Shenzhen using LinkedIn then. They stopped having their content, um, you know, sharing and everything. And it just they tried to reposition it on the Chinese market as just a way to find jobs and nothing else. And then mm. finally, these days, they're completely closing it in, in, in China, right? So mm. you asked me five, 10 years ago, I would already say, yeah, you know, marketing, doing online marketing from within uh, within China is a pain. Even mm. keeping up with what's going on outside is a pain, and mm. communicating with family and so on, you know, is a pain, right? And this mm. is, well, basically not much change, right? Just one more major network that's um, that's that's closed now. At least TikTok yeah. is <laughs> has gone mainstream and is open, right? Mm. But it it's just crap. I would never use that mm. stuff. <laughs> Well, I, I think I think from a from the listener's perspective as well, everybody's probably well versed in the fact that it's really difficult to use Western internet in China. So before you leave your country and you're visiting China, you're gonna need to figure out a way to access the internet if you're relying on, let's say, you know, using Google Drive to uh work on some documents with your colleagues who are you know, mm. back wherever you're from or something like that, you're going to need to sort that out before you leave. Because if you leave it till you're in China, you're going to struggle. I would say yeah. that as well, from a communication perspective, even if we're not talking about paying for stuff in China, which we can actually go on to for our next point, I guess, WeChat is going to be helpful for you because you can communicate very easily. You can call people. It's what everybody uses very kind of similar to WhatsApp in terms of if you're just using it to communicate a message, it's similar to WhatsApp. 
or Facebook Messenger. And of course, you can use that in China. So I would say, you know, if you're going to be meeting Chinese colleagues or Chinese suppliers, totally get yourself a WeChat account set up. And that's going to be most helpful. Right, right. And it's, it is ranked pretty much worst for information security. So well, yeah, <laughs> don't, yeah, don't, don't, don't exchange, you know, any secrets on, 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 on that platform. And right. expect that yes. it could it could come out and be read by everybody. Also, sure. I would remind people WeChat is a personal uh, medium first, just like let's say Facebook Messenger, right? Mm. Uh, and there's a WeChat Plus or business or whatever they call it. There's also something from Alipay, uh, sorry, from Alibaba called DingTalk. Uh, there are professional social networks, uh, type of like messaging and so on. Uh, not really social networked, but you know something like WhatsApp, but more professional mm-hmm. for China, where the company sort of owns you know everything, and the person leaves, and you can still see what's in the account, and, and yeah. things don't get like uh, you know <laughs> erased suddenly, just like in WeChat. So really, WeChat mm-hmm. is something that um, should be handled carefully. Uh, but mm-hmm. yeah, you 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 were mentioning how to pay, right? So without a let's say a digital wallet, it is a is an enormous pain in the neck, right? To, to go <laughs> yeah. around and pay. Well, you can use a foreign card in China, right? Probably. Mm. Sometimes not, but usually people won't have a fit if you pull out a Visa or a MasterCard. So if you've got an international card that's not going to cost you a fortune, you could probably pay for some stuff by card. But for smaller purchases, so if you're going into uh convenience store you take a taxi something like that they are going to expect you to pay by scanning a qr code and using Mm. alipay for example right but the problem is you got to set that up in your country before you come to china which has caused me a spot of bother this time so i've been Mm. going around in shenzhen trying to pay in cash and people are looking Mm. at me like i've gone mad they're like who is this old man why is he trying to pay cash? What is he talking about? <laughs> Obviously, right. we do not have any change. Just get rid of him. <laughs> and it's been, and people have turned it turned me down. I've literally, they're like, no, we're not taking your cash. Yeah. So the online payment system, right? Basically, you connect your bank account to one of the Chinese apps. And when you need to pay for something, you scan the QR code that they give you. And then you just type in whatever you're paying. So let's say, you know, 14 RMB, right? You type it in, you press pay. It comes up on their system and it just says paid 14 RMB. And then you walk away. And those QR codes appear everywhere. And if you're in China, you're going to see QR codes everywhere. A lot of the time they're now circular, by the way. You probably noticed this, Renault, right? What do you mean circular? It's like a round circle with the little dots inside. Oh, it, yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Right, right, right. But they don't look like square QR code, like blocky ones right. anymore uh, a lot of the time. So, but you're going right. to see those everywhere. So if you don't set that up before you come to China, right, you've got, uh, you've kind of got two options. You can either try to pay with your foreign card or you can try to pay with cash. Mm. It's debatable whether they're even going to take cash, uh, certainly in Shenzhen at least. So, there are ways to mm. do it, but you need to you need to register when you're in your country. So you connect, you connect, you download the app, you connect your bank account to it. You probably have to confirm your ID with them. They send you a verification code to your phone number. Once you've put that in, it should be connected. And then once you get to China, I'm assuming you're not going to use your uh, Western phone number. So even if you get a Chinese SIM card, or maybe you buy a SIM card at the airport in Hong Kong that works while you're in China. Okay, good choice, mm-hmm. I guess. You can still use the function because you've already set it up. But if you wait until you're in China, you can't do it because you can't get the verification code, which is sent to your foreign phone number, which you're not using in China, which is exactly what's happened in my case. So we're learning every day. I'll set it up for yeah. next time. But but yeah, that's that's basically how everyone pays for everything now. So if you come thinking, hey, I've got cash, it's going to be fine. It's probably not going to be fine in many cases. Right, right, right. Yeah. So payments, yeah, uh, you, you got to go digital. Um, yes. That's, that's clear. And now let's 
get to the next, uh, actually the last topic, is about all the online delivery. It's just enormous. I don't think it's anywhere close to as developed as in China, you know, anywhere in the world. No. Did you see that the mass of people just going around for deliveries? Yep. It's astounding. Astounding. Enormous. In, and it can be anything. Yeah. Uh, it can be anything. While I was in the hotel in Shenzhen, we ordered some stuff at, I don't know, it was pretty late. It was maybe like midnight or something like that. Mm. No problem. Just go on the app, type in what you want. Some guy comes over on the e-bike with the stuff, goes to the hotel. And also, there's a robot in the foyer of the hotel. <laughs> so he opens up the robot, puts the stuff inside. The robot drives up. It goes into the elevator, comes up to your room, rings the doorbell. <laughs> And then it's like, hey, open me up. I've got your stuff. You take the stuff out <laughs> and the robot just goes away. And so it's a completely humanless transaction. Right. Uh, from your m mobile phone, from like Meituan or whatever, one of these yeah. apps. Or, or within, yeah, within WeChat, actually, you can order, right? Mm. And um, you get it all. Yeah, that's crazy. So this is actually a problem for like, hiring operator-level people because... Mm. They go work in a factory and, I don't know, an assembly job or a machining job, semi-skilled, let's say. Maybe they make 6000 but they have to work like 12 hours a day, you know, <laughs> very often, you know, six days a week and so on. Yeah. And they have to, it's very regimented. They have to follow, you know, a certain discipline, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. They're a delivery guy. They're on their own. They make 10,000 10, RMB a month. You know, eight, nine, ten thousand is not unheard of at all. So they actually mm -hmm. earn more money. They're on their little e-bike. They're pretty free. You know, they take the jobs they want, mm -hmm. and they're out there going around, and it's different jobs every time, going to different places, and they prefer it. And what uh, someone in the office told me, oh, it's funny because they they come to an office and they will have sort of a deal with the cleaning lady where the the last. It's not the last mile. Maybe they do the last mile, you know, minus the last um, the last 20 meters. The last 20 meters are done by the cleaning lady. Goes up to the fifth floor, delivers this, and then goes up to the 20th floor, delivers that, and then wait for the next guy to come. And they kind of share the, the money. It's like subcontract, <laughs> subcontract service, you know, uh, of the delivery. But this is a huge, a, a huge thing. And the amount of single-use plastic and cardboard and you know all the packaging materials is also astounding oh Something, yeah, yeah i mean some countries like yeah like france like uk that are really you know cutting on it the eu with their new packaging and packaging waste um mm. i believe it's a directive not a regulation but packaging and packaging waste are also gearing up to to cut down on that pretty uh, pretty you know in, in, in a pretty um strict manner and in China, it's like totally un unbridled, you know, there's no limit, you know, and you order something that's the size of, of a finger and uh, and you get a package that, that's, you know, 20, 20 times more, um, you know, voluminous. It's it's just crazy. It's just crazy. I don't know how long it's going to, to last. That's an Asian thing, though. All over Asia, it's kind of like that. I don't think yes. even, even yes. Japan, like... I was, when yes. I went to Japan, I was quite surprised by the amount of packaging you get. And I didn't yes. expect it because Japan is so sort of conscientious about everything. And yet it was sort of like plastic central. It was crazy. But, yeah, I mean, uh, ecologically, it's not good. And and of course, if you're getting everything delivered and it's coming in a bunch of plastic packaging and a plastic bag, which is tied up and all of that, mm. that is not the same as going to the supermarket yourself, buying your stuff. Yes. Uh, chucking it in a you know a multiple use bag or or a you know mm. a jute bag or whatever right which is reusable mm. and uh, yeah so it, it is a lot what i would say is that the rubbish bins in china are now quite categorized mm. so it's very very common to see different bins for you know plastics for food waste for for cardboards and you know with china you know there's a gang of people at the bottom of each building sorting through everything and, and making sure that all the stuff goes into the right bins. How well it's all recycled, 
who knows? But it appears that they are trying to categorize the different waste. So they must be doing something yeah. with it. Yeah, the easy ones, you know, like the, the plastics with number one, two, three, four. Yeah, the, yeah, all of these are certainly recycled. The metals, yeah. I mean, this is a big business in, in China, definitely. But there's a lot of things I'm pretty sure still goes to, to landfill. Mm. You know, oh, yeah. Burn. Yeah, so, for sure. yeah. And for sure. you were talking about supermarkets. So, same thing now from an app, you buy everything. You do your shopping from an app more and more. So, yeah. traditional supermarkets are, are seeing, you know, fewer people coming in. They are cutting down on, on, mm. on, um, on, on the personal and they have less, you know, lower activity, but they need to, to develop an online uh, delivery approach. So, you yeah. have these sort of supermarkets without supermarkets that are basically warehouses just mm. for online delivery in each populated neighborhood and this yeah. is taking away a lot from the supermarkets so it's uh yes yeah those, those yeah, developments are just a bit that. um a bit weird a bit weird mm. let's say i think from a from a you know what is china like right i think what struck me in shenzhen is that it appears that people seem to be spending a lot more time inside because uh, yeah okay it has been quite hot recently to be fair but They've built so many huge malls everywhere because yeah. in the old days when there was just the sort of couple of metro lines that you were talking about, there were probably three, four, five major malls in Shenzhen that everybody knew about. Right? And they were they were like yeah. the big famous places. Now there's probably 100. There's just massive, <laughs> massive malls everywhere. And they are crammed with people. Everybody's in there eating, drinking, chilling out, literally because they're air-conditioned. Mm. And I kind of feel like, yeah, everybody's just in malls now. That's That feels different to me. Yeah, true, true. Right. Yeah, a long time when it was just like, oh, there's the Mixie and there's the whatever, mm. Holiday Plaza and, and, and Poco Park and <laughs> Central Walk. And, yeah. And that's it. King, uh, King Glory in Lohu. Right. Yeah, right, right. There, there are just a few that are really um, modern and yeah. relatively um, upscale. And, and now it's mm. they've just multiplied and multiplied and multiplied. It is yeah. nuts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's all about it's all about malls. Uh, so if you want to go get some good food and good drinks and things like that, uh, yeah, go check out the big local mall because it's bound to have some good stuff. Maybe one more mm. point we can cover, if if mm. uh, if I may. If you go on LinkedIn, you're going to see so many articles, especially at the moment, and we're recording middle of June, right? Mm. Saying, you know, oh, the West and China are diverging. The relationship is is over. You know, you've got to get out of China, et cetera, et cetera. It's kind of negative. And we know mm. that China is never going to be always portrayed very positively in Western media. Okay, I get it. I don't think, looking at the business environment here, that's entirely true because people are coming to China, they're setting up businesses, they're opening bank accounts. It, it is happening, it can happen, it's still quite accessible. So I don't think the business right. uh, environment is as hostile to foreigners as it may be being portrayed in the media. Yeah, well, I mean, some foreigners that, that we know are feeling that too on the ground. Mm. So it's not totally unfounded, but no. there's sort of an ebb and flow. There's, there's cycles, right? During COVID, it was primarily very, um, very political. And, you know, basically nobody cares about your freedom and who mm. cares? Just get out if you don't want to be here. This is the way we yeah. do it, right? Nobody really cared about the economy. And now they're waking up and they're like, oh, our economy is actually, you know, pretty soft. It's not good. We need to do something. So these days they are, they're going to try to be a bit nicer, a bit more welcoming. And then who knows later, right? So this is also what's pretty unpleasant to, to foreign investors and foreign, you know, and company managers and so on. I understand that. Um, that's China. And, you know, that's China of 2023. Uh, but there's also some good sides. What I mean is that the government is actually, you know, enforcing the laws better. So, okay, that's bad if you're earning a high salary and, uh, you know, your company has to pay high taxes and, and all these kind of things because this is different from 20 years ago. Yeah, that's true. 
Um, I mean, on on the other hand, yeah, you, yeah, it's also much harder to to hire foreigners now because yes. China is way less attractive. So let's say that the soft power, you know, of China in that sense is very very weak, right? It doesn't have a good image generally, and that actually yeah. is is having an impact on. How good of a destination it is for for you know for, for running a business anyway. So mm. these these are the main problems. But you know, people are people. Um, you can you can find some great individuals. Obviously, uh, you can you can you can work with a network of very good Chinese people, right? Uh, and very good manufacturers and very good service providers and so on. Things still happen very fast. You know this. There's a there's a lot of a can-do attitude if you if you're looking for the right people. So if you like that, well, that was great in 2010, in 2015, and still would be great in 2025, right? Yes. And it's it's an enormous market, a lot of yes. money flowing around. Ooh. That is actually more and more true, right? Even though the economy obviously is maturing a bit and is is changing, right? So depending on the business you're in, it might be getting better, better and better. Was an opportunity mm-hmm. or worse and worse, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> um, yeah. Things have been changing a lot, that's for sure. Yeah, so I hope that the different topics that we've sort of been going around in this episode give you a bit of a flavour for some of the changes that we've seen and hopefully you'll see if you're going to be planning on visiting China soon to go see your suppliers or even to visit us, mm. even to visit Sophist yeah. as well. So... Um, if 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 you're listening and you're thinking, well, I, I do have some questions about this. I'm a bit I'm a bit stumped on, you know, how do I get into China? What sort of things do I have to do to prepare, etc. Get in touch. We'll try and answer if we can. But what I would say is, it's it's really not that hard to visit China now as a visitor. It's not like it was during COVID at all. It's really really pretty simple. All right, I think we covered all the points that, that we yeah. had. Um prepared <laughs> absolutely so uh, another good one there Renault. thanks thanks for that uh, enjoyed your observations today and we will be back next week as normal thanks again for listening to this podcast brought to you by the sophie's group we're on a mission to provide you with everything you need to manufacture effectively in asia including inspections auditing new product development support contract manufacturing 3PL warehousing and fulfillment, and much, much more across Asia's key manufacturing areas. Visit us at sofeast.com, that's S-O-F-E-A-S-T dot com, to learn more and get help. If you've enjoyed the podcast today, please do rate, review and share, because it will really help others discover us too.